This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, you're listening to the DLR Cast, the podcast by fans, not fanboys, of David Lee Roth and Van Halen, all things DLR and Van Halen, of course. I am Steve, along with my good friend Darren Paltrowitz. How you doing, Darren? Welcome to yet another episode. Yeah, I can't complain. Can you complain? I probably could, but you know, <laughs> everybody, everybody's sick of it. It's sick of me complaining, so I, I, I won't. I could. I'm I, not. For the record, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sick of your complaining. So you complain when you want to complain. You deserve it. You work hard enough to deserve to complain. Hey, I know you. You do as well. But you know, like one of a wise bard once said, "You got to pay the dues if you want to sing the blues." So you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have a quote right there. <laughs> All right. Take so we got your business. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we've got another cool interview, uh, courtesy of Darren here. Darren, uh, tell us all about Steve Schiltz, because this was really cool to listen to. I mean, if we're going to talk professionally here, Steve Schiltz is the singer and principal or co-songwriter of the band Longwave. He's also the band Hurricane Bells, meaning like it's it's a moniker, but it's him. And he's played with James Eha and Dan Wilson from Semisonic. Lots of great people. Steve is one of my favorite people, though, period. Uh, I don't know if it's a it's a secret that him and I have this email thread that just has not stopped in, in two years or so. But Steve is one of those guys where the music is a bit serious. And then you talk to the guy and you go, that is one of the funniest, nicest people I've ever encountered. So uh, I have the privilege of calling him a friend. And a lot of people wouldn't know from listening to his music that he is a shredder. That guy can shred. Yeah, and you guys get into that. Uh, it was really cool to hear a guitar player. And we've had musicians before on the podcast, but hear another musician uh, you know, talk about that influence and just how he started coming up. I mean, learn, you know, and learning these solos and just, you know, com- from a from a guitarist perspective on it, it was pretty cool. We should get into, um, you know, um, Steve's bio because, of course, you mentioned Longwave, the band Longwave, but he's done a lot of other work. I know he's done some soundtrack work and his music's in a bunch of different places. Yeah, I even got him to slum it and uh, write the theme song to my podcast, The Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. Uh, I'm sure he's That's not... him! <laughs> I love that song, man. And that's not a shameless plug of your cool podcast. That's a cool song. I always meant to uh, ask you who did that song, man. It's it's imminently hummable. <laughs> yeah, I, I just asked and I never thought that Steve would say yes to it. But Steve is somebody I actually met. First, I was a fan of his and... When I was working on the management team for OK Go, I still consult a little bit for them. But I met Steve at this event that they were doing in New York City. Steve and Longwave had opened for OK Go on a tour or two. And they were friends and that kind of thing. And mutual friends sometimes lead to more friends. Uh, Really been a closer friend the past like three, four years now. But his discography, it's... I think it's now pretty complete on steveshields.com, but sometimes it's him playing all the instruments on something. Sometimes he's the producer. Sometimes he's singing. Sometimes you're watching a commercial on TV and you don't realize that it's Steve that you're actually hearing. So he's still earning a living full-time in music, even if uh, Longwave is kind of a part-time band. I think all four members live in different cities these days, but the band regrouped about a year and change ago. 
Yeah, and I know some of the soundtrack work. I mean, he was on the Twilight Saga New Moon soundtrack, which had some heavy hitters on it, like Death Cab for Cutie and The Killers. And I mean, that's that's some serious business right there. And I, just reading up on him, I, I realized uh, I may have seen him live before, as many other people have, probably have too, because he's played, he's toured with and played with Albert Hammond Jr., The Pierces, yeah. James Eha, Smashing Pumpkins. So, uh, you know, he's it. I, it was really cool to hear this interview that you did with him, and uh, it's uh, it, like I mentioned before, it's always cool that when you've got a musician, you know, coming from that standpoint, in addition to being a fan. So. Very much so. I think the Strokes got Steve and Longwave signed to RCA Records. Um, there's a clip of Interpol a year or two ago playing Governor's Ball in New York, a big festival, where they're naming the bands that helped define the Lower East Side rock scene. And they name the Strokes, the Yeahs, and Longwave. Uh, they're one of these bands. Oh, I mean... There was this thing a couple of years ago in Entertainment Weekly where they were asking Kristen Bell about the things that make her happy. And she spoke about the first wrong, uh, Long Wave album. I almost called them Wrong Wave, which would be terrible. So Long, <laughs> <laughs> long Wave. There's just so many fans of Long Wave out there. And the first two records, I believe, were done with Dave Fridman, who did all those great Flaming Lips and Mercury Rev records. Oh, right. OK, go album. So it's one of those things where you don't always connect all the dots to realize, wow, a lot of people like Longwave. They did a lot of great music. And again, I'm glad they regrouped a, a year, year and a half ago. Well, very cool. And it was a cool interview. And uh, here it is. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for streaming the DLR cast. Right, right. Rave, review us uh, at your favorite podcast provider and enjoy the interview. Yeah, what Steve said. <laughs> so what are you working on the moment? Let's let's get the plugs out of the way first and foremost, Steve. Oh, yeah. Right now I'm working on some TV commercial stuff, uh, but that's like a day-to-day -day thing uh, that comes and goes. But yeah, there's a new Longwave live record, which you have asked you know we know talked about that there's a harvard of the south record that uh is me and a couple of blue october guys band called blue october and um that record has been finished for a number of years but we never had a good time to put it out now seems like a pretty good time because we're not gonna do any shows about it uh, at least right away and just kind of get get the music out there and then there's a new scout song comes out tomorrow band scout i played guitar in a long time ago it's gonna be it's called The Sun Will Shine, and it's in a, a little movie called Millennium Bugs that'll be out uh, doing some festival stuff with it. So that song's coming out. Um, and then there's a Hurricane Bells EP that I don't think I told you about. That uh, No. Richard Henry, was it? Hur yeah, Hurricane Bells is you know my, my, my band after and now before again in the middle period of long wave time and uh, had the Twilight Song connection. Uh, and um, it's mostly a studio project, but we did do this India and Japan, U.S. tours. And for a while, I really was focused on it. And we did this EP that uh, came out in Japan when we went and played over there, but uh, never came out here. And I was just waiting for the right opportunity to put it out, and the opportunity never came. And at some point earlier this year, I listened to it again. And I thought, I got to get this out. I really like this. And so that'll be coming out. I got to get a little plan together. Uh, for that but that'll be coming out soon it's got albert from the strokes playing guitar on one song it's mm. got uh, ashen the singer from scout singing on one song um so yeah this 
the rest of this year is just a bunch of getting music out and uh, making way for the next next bunch. You're actually doing it. You're just a tiny bit more prolific than Van Halen has been over the last. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it depends on which period of Van Halen, because the first couple of years, they were extremely prolific. Um, in recent times, not so much. Yes, yeah, 78 to 84, nonstop music output. And of course, it slowed down somewhere in the 90s, maybe around balance. But I yeah, know balance. your gateway into Kiss. What was your gateway into liking Van Halen? Uh, the guitar. I mean, I'm a guitar player, so it was Eddie Van Halen, like anybody else. Uh, I think I probably heard, I'm a little bit younger than, you know, I wasn't listening when the record came out, the first record came out. I say the record, every, you know, I'm sorry, that's the first Van, Van Halen. Van Halen one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the record for a guitar player. Uh, so I think I probably heard the songs on classic rock radio and wanted to play the guitar along with them. And it wasn't necessarily the guitar solos, but it was like playing along with You Really Got Me. And I didn't even know that that was a cover song. I just heard it. And uh, in the beginning, playing guitar, was it was relatively easy enough to play mm -hmm. that riff. And so uh, I could play along with it. And even if I couldn't nail the solos, I could still have fun playing along with that or uh, then, you know, Running With The Devil, um, Ain't Talking About Love. These are all like, they're not, extremely difficult songs to play uh, in a basic way. You know, he played them obviously in a, in a very cool and awesome way. <laughs> but so, yeah, I would play upstairs in my, my attic of my house playing guitar along with that first record and eventually trying the solo for Ain't Talking About Love and then eventually trying to solo for something else or, you know, putting your, your hand over here to do the finger tapping, you know, <laughs> And then it's a slippery slope. And then you're like, well, what else do they have that they put out? And then you're on to Van Halen too. And I think the, the record that really did it for me was Fair Warning. I, you know, all these records I heard kind of at the same time. I wasn't around when they came out, like, in order. I was around, but I wasn't, I was too young. So, but Fair Warning for a guitar player also had Unchained and just was raw and mean sounding. And I guess that really attracted me. But yeah, that, all of that it was like this raw, mean sound. And on, the, on top was this, this dude that was starting a party, <laughs> you know? So I was in, I was 12 years old. I was like, I want to go to this party. Listen to that guitar player. So you, know? you liked both the Sammy and Dave years. I'm not going to ask about the Gary Sharon years, but you liked both Dave and Sammy's Van Halen years? Yeah, I did. But I, like a lot of people, probably consider them to be two different bands. Mm-hmm. You know, the Hagar stuff was almost like Journey. Not, not, that's, that's not, a, I, hopefully not since like a slag on them or something. And I liked a lot of Journey stuff too. My mom would listen to the Journey, you know, that, that also sounds like a slag my mom likes. It, but, <laughs> but I loved the melodies on the Hagar stuff. I loved when it's love. I, I listened again and it was like, I don't care. This is a little bit, you know, uh, light with an L-I-T-E. I, I like the melody. I like the... <laughs> The, the, the craft of it, the construction of the song, the music is great. Um, not as raw or cool as the Dave stuff, but if it was a different band with a different name, you'd be like, yeah, I'd love to hear these songs in an open amphitheater in the summertime. Like, perfect music for that. Well so, said. Yeah. That's a, it, to me, it was diff a different band. And then how deep do you go when it comes to Dave's catalog. There's, there's kind of three solo kids. Dave. 
solo Dave. There's the people who know, yeah, just a gigolo, California girls. There's that. Then the next layer is you know Yankee Rose and stand up and all that. And then there's the people who just know everything, which is such rare company. You know, I can't tell you the track listing of your filthy little mouth or anything like that. Oh, for shame. <laughs> I, I, I would guess you had the Spanish version of that, of that record. You know what? I was bidding on, uh, because it's a thing that comes up a lot on this podcast and in a lot of my interviews, the album that he did in Spanish, Sonrisa Salve, uh, Sonrisa Salvaje. I did actually have to translate Spanish for somebody to supermarket yesterday, which is kind of funny, but, uh, nice. I was bidding on the Japanese edition of it on eBay last week because you got to think about that. Why did that album come out in Japan? Why did the Spanish language David Lee Roth album, Warner Brothers went, this is something that people are going to buy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. Uh, no, so I know. So when I first started paying attention, David Lee Roth, well, just like Paradise and Skyscraper was out and then A Little Ain't Enough came out and Jason Becker was playing guitar on that. And um, again, this I came come from a guitar player perspective and the guitar playing again on A Little Ain't Enough was was incredible from like yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm at that time I was kind of coming out, you know, like starts with Eddie Van Halen gets into maybe Steve Vai-ish kind of territory. And then my interest would went to like Metallica and harder music at that point. So somewhere around that time was when a little Ain't enough came out and I was more interested in the sound, but what's, what's the single off that? I like the single off that a little Ain't enough record, the, the lead single. I don't remember what it is. Uh, it a little ain't enough. Is it, it's not stand up. It's um, cause stand up is on skyscraper. It's uh, all this. I'm probably going to have to edit this part out because that. Hold on, I can look it up. Hold on, let's see. I'm on my laptop. Let's I think it it's the title track, A Little Ain't Enough, because that has. I think you're right, too. Hold on, let's see. A great, great music video. You're right. You're right. It's A Little Ain't Enough, the, 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 the title cut. It, um, it does get fuzzy after the Skyscraper album because he did some videos that even diehard Day fans have not seen. Like. <laughs> that are so deep cut that I don't think oh. they're, they're not on the Warner Brothers official YouTube thing that somebody uh, like taped it from VH1 Classic at three in the morning and you see the logo at the bottom of the screen. There's a few <laughs> of those. Right, right. Well, so I, I know that and I know Skyscraper and I, and I think Yankee Rose has got to be one of the best 80s rock tracks, you know, but uh, yeah, I guess it's I get just more of the singles later on for me with 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 David Lee Roth. That makes sense. Do you have present company excluded? Do you have other people in your life that like the David Lee Roth solo catalog, or is it just no. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to hesitate on that one? No, I mean I have other. I have two friends in particular that I'm thinking of. That's a bit like. Uh, we email back and forth too, and sometimes there's crossover between the emails you and I get on and, <laughs> and, 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 and them, and they would be down, but it's not specifically about David Lee Roth or Van Halen. It's just a general, like, late 80s fixation. That makes sense. Now, people who follow your catalog personally, they may not know that you have the Van Halen influence or the Metallica influence because everything is so guitar pedal oriented. 
the lyrics are kind of like the opposite of anything David Lee Roth would ever sing in all the stuff that you do. I wish I could. I wouldn't be able to get away. I can't, I can't it's like uh, putting on a pair of spandex pants. I would, I can't, I can't pull it off. <laughs> I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. <laughs> well, the, where I'm going with that is, is it that you start off with the Van Halen into Metallica thing and then you went into the shoegaze or did you always like everything? Oh, no, it, the, 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 it just, it's the difference between being a guitar player and being a guy who writes songs and eventually started a band to play those songs. So at that point, it's like a different part of your brain or you're coming from a different place where like that, that the kind of guitar playing that, that I would love on a Van Halen record wouldn't be appropriate to songs that I wrote. And so you had to learn to play the guitar more in support of those songs. And so, yeah, at some point uh, went from Metallica and Megadeth and that to like, I joined the band and the singer said, you know, listen to this REM record. You know, why is Peter Buck playing only two notes on that guitar solo. Like, do you think he can't play more than two notes? Like, no. Why is he only playing two notes? And then <laughs> you start thinking, right, maybe it sounds better than playing, you know, on the middle of, yeah. uh, on the middle of, I don't know, fall on me or something. So yeah, it, it, it's just evolution, I suppose. And, and being a songwriter that, that changed, but that doesn't mean that the guitar part of my brain still doesn't love it. And just as a, you know, I still put on at the studio here, if I need like a, an ear break or a, a, I'm a little stressed or the timeline is happening, I got to get things done and I get it done. Every once in a while, I put on Hot for Teacher, the video. And mm -hmm. it's like, God damn, that's a great video. It's a great song. It just makes everything feel so good. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I guess you can't get far away from your roots. <laughs> That song to me, if somebody says, what's your favorite song of all time? I might say Hot for Teacher because it's, it's got, killer. <laughs> it's got everything that you'd want in a song. So there's a chorus, there's a solo, there's humor, there's an upbeat tempo. There's more than one genre to it. You know, when you just hear it and you go, that's a song. Uh, David Lee Roth is kind of known for saying that Van Halen put the Ricky Ricardo rumba into rock and roll. <laughs> Yeah, it swings. And the, the, the thing about that song is that it's, it's got the, the slightly silly lyric, it's a party and all that, but there's some serious music happening behind that. Like that guitar and drum, the drums are serious. Like right. it, it's played so well. It's like virtuosic playing, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like Weather Report or like jazz or... <laughs> you know, quote, serious music. It's, it's, it's like the veneer over the top is like there, there's a hot chick with the phys ed sash dancing <laughs> on the table. You know what I mean? But meanwhile, there's like this incredible music happening, <laughs> rock music, you know? Yeah. Did you ever get to see Van Halen or David Lee Roth in concert? I saw Hagar Van Halen on um, the Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge Tour and Vince Neil opened. Um, I don't remember too much about it, to be honest. I, I remember that I liked Eddie Van Halen was probably the best memory of it. And I, I went with my mom. My mom took me. I was, God, 13, maybe 14. My parents took me to a lot of 
shows like that. Cinderella, you know, but <laughs> that, that was my first, but not as good as the Van Halen. But the Van Halen one was outside. It was like I kind of said before, where I was like, great summer concert. Is that the product of being an only child or did your parents actually really like music? They liked Van Halen and they liked, uh, yeah, they liked classic rock, both of them. Uh, and it might be that I was the only child. I don't know. I, but I liked music a lot by that point. So they, I think, yeah, they were just like, you want to go? Yeah, that sounds fun. We'll go. So. Well, somebody who you know. sees you live these days will still see uh, in long wave that you're jumping off the drum riser. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any influence from David Lee Roth on that one? Oh, God. It's another one like the spandex where it's like, uh, I would have <laughs> I could, but I can't, so I won't. Yeah, the the jumping off the drum set now thing. I mean, I I was looking this morning at the, all the backs of the old Van Halen record covers, and I forgot that on Van Halen two he's doing the split jump. And I looked at that and off the drums. I looked at that and I was like, "There's no way in hell." I have no idea how he did that. I mean, I know he practiced, like you know, you read the Noel Monk book. Yeah, there's all these accounts of him practicing those jumps with those like six inch clogs or whatever they would wear in the early years. Like they would wear these like platform shoes or something on stage and he would have to practice that and the jumps and stuff. And it was, uh, I mean, how, how, it's incredible. So yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> so no it, influence from DLR and that. No, it's like, it, 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 it's like me and me, I'm driving. It's like David Lee Ross going by in a Lamborghini with that kind of thing. And I'm like sputtering with my little Pinto. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the difference between the two. Fair enough. And, and the, the other people that you said that you may email with some 80s metal stuff, yeah. you don't have to name any names. Are any of them in bands? They were. It's Jeff from Sea Ray, if you remember the band Sea Ray in New York. Yeah. Not, um, and uh, Jeff Scheinkopf and Bill Moult. Bill, who uh, does... He animated the, uh, the latest long wave video. Yeah, he does a lot of long wave videos and other stuff too, other like films and stuff. He's a Los Angeles guy. But yeah, those two guys. Uh, yeah, especially Jeff. Jeff has all kinds of pictures of him meeting Ricky Rocket when he was a kid, meeting uh, uh, Craig Chakwiko, I think I have to say his name from Starship. Sure. You know, yeah, it's just stuff like this. You know? So we, we, we send each other these. these things. <laughs> and then what was the gateway band for you when it came to you know, growing up into the alternative music? Was it REM like you said before? Yeah, it was being in a band with this one guy. I was just playing guitar in the band. I wasn't singing. And the singer in the band liked R.E.M., The Smiths, The Pixies. Uh, I think maybe Doolittle was, was the record for The Pixies that I started with. Uh, it, it, it's funny because now I maybe prefer Surfer Rosa and Come On Pilgrim. But yeah, uh, he was the guy, the singer in, in the band that I was in when I was like 16 to 18 years old. It kind of changed my whole uh oh u2 early u2 records mm -hmm. uh, with the echo guitar you know that kind of seemed like the next day a uh, step it's like you can play the guitar like this way a little bit i wasn't as good as as some of these shredder guys but at the same time if i got a delay pedal and i could play this thing it was like uh it sounded like a whole band playing mm -hmm. you know it was like it, it really backed up the singer and the song and the band that i was in so it was fun to try and do that. So, yeah, it was U2, uh, R.E.M., Pixies, Smiths, uh, all the 80s, like, kind of, you know, 
proto indie slash breakout bands, you know, 120 minutes bands, the cure. 20 minutes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how great to have, you could have had headbangers ball and 120 minutes and a little later, like adult swim, like all, all these like things late at night, like you'd tune in. I could, I never really saw that you had to choose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess where I'm going with all that is that a lot of the stuff that I'm super into now in my late thirties is the stuff that I was into when I was 12, 13, 14. Like you oh. grow up and you try and distance yourself from who you were as an early teenager and stuff you like before you were a teenager. And then there reaches that point where you look at all that stuff and you go, there is a reason why I like that. So yeah. I'm curious if you got out of Van Halen and it like, later became a thing that you loved or you just never got out of it you just were kind of quiet about it that when you're signed to rca when they go who are your influences because inevitably that happens in all your international interviews you don't say van halen but you kind of do want to say van halen out of some yeah i don't know uh no i always liked it i mean i always it would just kind of fade and other stuff would come to the forefront but it was always um i remember making the first rca record with long wave with uh the producer Dave Fridman mm -hmm. and it, this isn't about Van Halen specifically but I remember I said saying I really like the sound of um, hysteria mm -hmm. the, the Def Leppard record and um, Dr. Feelgood and I remember he just I mean I thought he was gonna kick me out of the studio <laughs> it, like hysteria in particular he was like that just sounds like uh, digital distortion like bad digital proto you know in early uh, digital recording and I remember walking away like I don't know I kind of like it like I don't know what to say you know I still like it and I'll, I so yeah I still uh, I would still stand by that and so like the Van Halen records they just sound better than a lot of the contempt their contemporaries you, you perceive their contemporaries to be and I think it's back to how good Eddie and Alex are mm -hmm. and and especially the first few Van Halen records they played that shit live yeah. in the studio like there was no like spending I don't think spending days on getting the kick drum sound in the in in the you know loading dock area of, <laughs> of the studio which is the I think I believe like the bass drum sound on the Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood records. Exactly, you know, like, exactly. And Dr. They, they, they you know, spent like a week like re resurfacing the studio walls so it was more reflective. You know what I mean? Like, no way. That first, those first two Van Halen records were all like really cheap dynamic microphones, like the Sure SM57s, and a really killer couple of musicians that, that played their asses off all the time at that time. You know what I mean? So they were like, so I think that those records stand up better than a lot of other records around of the, of, you know, what you'd consider the same genre or something, because it had their, you know, you could hear like their blood, sweat and tears on it. <laughs> you know, like the, it's humans who spent a lot of time playing together and that, you know, no click tracks, no. And it's just like, you know, raw and fun. And that I think is another thing that, people probably it causes people to like the Dave era better if they do is because it they're literally 
playing together and having fun and not overdubbing mm-hmm. shit out of the records. Yeah. That, I mean, I respect the hell out of Dave Fridman, who you just mentioned. Not only did he do the great long wave stuff, Mercury Rev, which I believe he was a drummer in, Flaming Lips, Our Mutual Friends in OK Go, except okay. Uh, MGMT, great, great discography. Mm-hmm. But you raise an interesting point that he's the opposite of lo-fi. His, his albums are uh, every morsel of tape or digital <laughs> is filled with, with sound and reverb and all that. Whereas that first Van Halen record is pretty much live. And at the same time, uh, it's interesting to hear that he wouldn't like a Mutt Lang album like Hysteria, which is also super digital and a big sound. Yeah, there's not a big difference now in some of the Dave, like when Dave goes for it, on like you mentioned the OK Go record, some of those drum sounds are, are enormous and big, and it's not a big step from that to hysteria in my mind. Um, at least, you know, he would probably take offense to hearing me say that. But, um, you know, to me, I, there's a book, a great book called Perfecting Sound Forever, and it's a... Uh, you know, a condensed history of recorded music. And there's a chapter devoted to hysteria. And it's, it's all about how it's, it was like the loudest, the biggest sounding record. Like, you know, it's like the Mount Rushmore of, of huge sounding records in, in, in the pop metal genre until maybe Dr. Feelgood would have been mm-hmm. the one after it, you know? Like you hear something off hysteria and I mean, even like other successful bands, Poison, the first few, like, you know, uh, Theater of Pain or Girls, 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 those records are great, but they do not sound as good as Hysteria. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Um, but the one thing like the early crew records would have is a similar thing to the early Van Halen records, which is that sounds like they're playing it live and really enjoying themselves, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's very interesting. I've never heard of that book, and that's going on the reading list to say, wow. And I really never thought about that big divide that there could be between producers. I would have thought that uh, Bob Rock's work would be universally loved by producers, and Mutt Lang's work would be universally I'm, we're saying Dave, for, I mean, Dave, I believe, would, would say he'd have a lot of respect for that. It's just that w- when I mentioned it to him it was like you know, you know. <laughs> Understood. Like, Understood. that's not what we're trying to make here and i'm like no no it's not what we're trying to make here but at the same time i can appreciate it and i i still love it from when i was 10 or 12 you know so tying things up here and all that do you have a favorite van halen record i'm gonna guess it's the first one yeah i was thinking about that this morning because i knew we were gonna talk i i it's one of Three, I don't, it, it kind of goes back. It would either be the first one or fair warning. And then as time goes on, I like 1984 better and better just because the songs. And, and like I said, I feel like you can hear them. I feel like 1984 is like a really great pivot moment for them where it still has some of the live feeling, maybe a little bit, not quite as much anymore, but it's not as overdubbed and slick as the Hagar years. So 1984 has like the perfect balance in a way, no, no pun intended with balance. <laughs> it has the perfect balance in a way between like, Hot for Teacher still is only like one or two guitars. Mm-hmm. 
but it's really fucking good and well produced in a way that maybe the earlier records weren't yet. They just had the raw power in you know, their balls, you know? So it's the those, are the, those are the records. What's that? It's the best of both worlds. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something you can really enjoy on summer nights. <laughs> I cut you off there. Uh, and then the last thing I'd, I'd want to know is, do you have a favorite Dave album? Dave Solo? Yes. I guess it would have to be Eat Him and Smile. Yeah, it would have to be the, the first. And the last thing I'm going to ask you, have you ever attempted the Yankee Rose guitar intro in any no. way? <laughs> no, he's awesome man that was a zappa thing i believe uh because he used to do that with frank zappa uh, steve Vai is the guitar player right and so uh there was like a talking guitar that frank zappa uh assi- like would give him assignments and he would give steve Vai like just a tape a recording of a normal conversation and steve because every time you're talking your voice has some kind of pitch to it yeah and steve, steve Vai would like transcribe it you know, and like that note and that pitch, and then he'd try to play it. And so I, I read that the Yankee Rose intro, you know, Steve Vai was uniquely prepared <laughs> to, to do that because he had spent years doing this like incredibly nerdy muso activity. <laughs> all, all, all to prepare him to go. <laughs> let me roll up to the sidewalk and take a look exactly oh man what a great i mean come on it's like who doesn't like that oh i gotta i gotta mention can i mention uh oh, what's his name you know him he's the press guy that i said that i know he was james eha's press guy Ken Young. Uh, what's his name uh Henry. joe joe civic Oh, yeah, 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 Joe, yeah. I can either talk about this now or I can talk about this later, or you can edit it out. It's up to you. Well, Joe, it's not a bad thing, Uh, but I was writing with this. You might find this, um, uh, you know, related. I was playing guitar for James Eha for a, a short period of time, and one of the things we did was we went to, I think it was Boston, to do a radio thing, and it was just me and James, and I was playing uh, accompanying with James singing and playing his song and sure. Joe Civic was the um, press guy for James so Joe went with us it was me Joe James in my car I believe driving up to Boston and on the way back it was a great time on the way back we're driving back to New York we're like maybe 50 miles outside of the city it's like everyone's feeling like we're you know happy to get get coming home here and uh, and hot for teacher came on the radio and James and I both immediately, James was like, oh, fuck yeah. And we like, t- turn it up on the radio. Yes, you know. So, you know, James Eha, also a classic rock fan. Big time classic rock fan. So James is like, fuck yeah, turn it up. And so we turn up Hot for Teacher on the radio. And uh, Joe Civic's in the backseat, quiet as a mouse. We're like, what do you think? Joe, are you a Van Halen fan? Are you, you know, Sammy or Dave? Like, you know, come on. Who's, what side do you come down on? And... Uh, and Joe was like, I've never heard this song. And we were like, what? And he's like, no, I was born in 1990. I don't know what he was, what year he was born in, but he was like, he'd never heard it. And he thought it was the most ridiculous song 
he'd ever heard. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I guess, maybe, yeah, it's ridiculous, but isn't it awesome? And he's like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> so you have one of the Smashing Pumpkins in the, in the passenger seat. I'm driving, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously a lifelong indie rocker, you know, type and uh, trying to convince this younger music industry, uh, you know, at that time, neophyte, I would say, sure. <laughs> to, to uh, of, of the merits of David Lee Roth era Van Halen. So that was a, that was a night, you know, and James was like, you're crazy. Listen to this. Listen. He turned it up louder, <laughs> like as though we couldn't hear it already. <laughs> well, uh, hey, as I said before, I think maybe my favorite song of all time. I'm not going to tell you it's the best written song ever, but it would be tougher. To That's not what you just said. <laughs> it would be tough to find a song that offers more qualities. I think they use that term for food, umami. It has that like extra factor and all that. It'd be tougher to find something like that. I, I don't want to hear Stairway to Heaven again. I don't need yeah. to. I've heard. No, I, it's like it's like food where you know you could have the, you know I've I've, I've been to Skiji in Japan, the fish market. Early in the morning, you go and it's like the most uh, like delectable sushi you'd ever want to imagine having, or like the some, you know whatever your favorite best food would be. But at the same time, sometimes you've had a tough day, or sometimes and and man, spaghetti and meatballs sounds amazing, <laughs> you know, like. That's the best thing you could eat right now. And Hot for Teacher is that spaghetti and meatballs of rock. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if top that one, Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, when this all goes up, you'll be tagged and all that. But thank you for being you and your many years of rock. Oh, yeah. I hope we've talked enough about Daily Roth. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert, but I... I you know, I, I am a fan. Exactly. We did, and you did, and thank you. I, I've, I've, I've actually I've told you now about the story of me trying to convince the younger, a younger generation of David Lee Roth fans. So that, that, that's my passing, uh, paying it forward, maybe. <laughs> that has happened many times on my end as well, believe it or not. So, <laughs> often do failed results. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> rock soldiers rock well any hoodles thank you for your time and uh yeah again. thanks darren